Welcome and bienvenidos a todos to the, our football podcast. Uh, I am Eugene Rapinski, and I am here with Adriana Terrazas. Adriana, how are you today? I'm good, Eugene. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. It was a crazy day in women's soccer. Um, too much to get into um, for even just our little slice of the world, um, but uh, lots going on um, within within the world of women's soccer. And um, yeah, it was a uh, not only was today uh, wild and, and crazy, but it's been like a kind of a wild and crazy week. I feel I feel like I say that every week about Liga Mekis Femenil. Um, but every week there's there's just uh, there's just something we had. Uh, yeah, there's, there's always like something like like in the air, right? Like there's just like <laughs> this topic that keeps on like going and going, right? It's 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 never boring, and that's that's what that's what endears it to me. Um, good, bad, uh, somewhere in between. It's never boring. So we did have a full slate of games this past week. Um, Adriana, what was uh, was what did you think was the best game of last week? Okay, so remember how we were talking about what games we wanted to see, and then I mentioned the Pumas Pachuca, and you were like, it might not be that <laughs> like great of a game, and I mean it could have been slightly predictable. Um, it was predictable with the score. I really don't think it was predictable with like the performance throughout the game. That was a crazy game. Um, I mean, Pumas, I, I was watching the game. I, I turned it on a bit late and then I was doing some other things for work. And then I was like, oh, wow, Pumas is winning 2-0. Wow, this is really cool. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's 3-2. And they lost. <laughs> In like Pumas, minutes. <laughs> Pumas broke my heart. Uh, they gave me hope uh, for, for the first, uh, I don't know how many minutes. And then it was like, okay, it's two to one. They're still looking good. Uh oh, it's two to two. Well, Pachuca's really good. We're gonna get a draw. No, <laughs> no, that didn't happen either. That'll teach me to have hope. Um. <laughs> yeah, that, that was crazy. I mean, Janelli's goal, like in the ninety-fifth minute, because again, we're like we're seeing this in the feminine, but also like in the men's side, like how long games can keep on going, like after the ninetieth minute. Um, and it was just like, you know, like you were used to having like three more minutes aggregate, four minutes, and that's all it sounds like seven minutes or something. And that's like the new normal, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a lot. Of, I mean, but it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I know they have the hydration breaks and, um, you know, there's always there's always something happening, um, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think that is the new normal. I think the the days of having two to three uh, being normal and, and, you know, having six to seven being kind of abnormal. I think those are going to reverse. I think we're going to start seeing games where we get only two minutes and you're like, wait a second, yeah. there should be more. Why, why is there <laughs> only two minutes? Um, How could they be so effective? Like with playing time, <laughs> but that was just, I mean, that was, it, it just, you could see Puma start to crumble <laughs> like at oh. the end of the game. It, it really was heartbreaking. I can't, I, I really feel for the Pumas fans because again, I mean, you're seeing how strong Pachuca's coming onto the game and you're at home and yet it's difficult like playing at Seu. I mean, as a fan, it's a difficult stadium to go to. Um, it's killer temperature. It's it's like out in the open. It's, it's really weird because it's a huge stadium. And despite how many people are in the stadium, you will never have a, like a cell phone signal. It's, it's one of those weird <laughs> things. You can stand in the middle of the field and still not have a cell phone signal. It's, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, midday, I mean, both teams have talked about how, how much they struggle with with games at noon in those conditions it's really really difficult and then sometimes they have like this really dark uniform and i'm like oh no are you kidding me with the dark uniform at noon um but yeah i, I mean jenny Hermoso getting uh those couple of goals and then janely farias like i had to check her like it was 96th minute 
uh, with the amazing header to get that that victory. So, um, yeah, sorry for the Pumas fans. And it ended up being a really a really great game. It, it did. Um, you know, I think Pumas held their own for the for the first while, and even kind of when it was two to two, it wasn't like Puma. Uh, it wasn't like Pachuca all of a sudden just turned it on and Pumas withered. Pumas was still kind of holding their own and holding out hope. But uh, uh, Jenny Hermoso is a is a very special player, as as we as we well know. And, um, you know, that that last uh, last second uh, game winner by Janelli Farias, uh, hats off to her for that one. And, you know, uh, kind of broke my heart as a, as a Pumas <laughs> fan, but, uh, you know, the, uh, hats off to her and hats off to Pachuca. And hopefully, you know, if, I'm not a big fan of, of moral victories. I'm not really sure there is a such thing, but hopefully Pumas can take some some positives a, a, away from that um, as well. Uh, for me, I thought the game of the week. Uh, was the the Chivas Juarez game? I know we both kind of talked about that. It was the the matchup of the unbeaten's, and you know, was Juarez real, or you know, they just happened to luck into to an easy schedule. Um, and even though they lost, I think they're for real. I think they they gave Chivas all that they could handle. Um, it was a little bit unlucky not to uh, not to have equalized. Um, what was I think in like the sixty fifth minute? Uh, Enway almost had, or it looked like she had an, a, a goal, uh, and it was called offside. And I, I didn't see it in real time, and I watched a replay, and I wasn't quite sure about it. And then uh, she tweeted out that uh, there's no way that it was offside too. So, um, but th- these things happen, and uh, you know, again, there's no such thing in my mind as a moral victory. But Juarez, <laughs> uh, Juarez has a lot uh, that they can be proud of from that performance. Especially as an away game, right? I mean, playing um, against Chivas and at Guadalajara—that that's mm-hmm. that complicates things just just a tad more. So, yeah, I agree. I I think um, still a great performance by Juarez, um, first defeat of the season, and it does seem as though they're for real. I mean, I I still wouldn't think they're any less strong, any weaker, uh, just because of this um, this defeat. I do think they could keep on going throughout the season. Yeah, they might struggle against Tigres, which is in a couple of weeks. But other than that, I, I think we're starting to see the result of a project that was brought in that was given some patience because, again, clubs can be so impatient with, with coaches, with players, and you need results just as soon as possible. And it seems as though, as though Milagro Martinez has, um, is starting to see, um, you know, you, you reap what you sow, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for the project, um, you know. Hats off to Juarez for following through in it. it. You know, it would have been really easy after uh, her first season to just go, well, this isn't working. Let's, who else are we going to bring in uh, and and kind of give up on it? Um, but we didn't see that. I, you know, I, I thought that they had some some decent results. I thought you could really see the project coming together um, last season. And I think this season you're starting to see it really start to pay off. Uh, they didn't get the three points that they may have wanted to in Guadalajara. Not many teams do, uh, and that's that's, that's fair. Uh, I still think that they they are on the right path. I still think that this year, uh, it's very likely that this will be the year that they finally make the Liguilla. I I would not be surprised at all to see that. Um, uh, but it was you know it's it, it's going to be fun to watch them. It's going to be fun to see how they how they bounce back. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to next week's game here in just a second. But uh, you know they they have atlas um and it's going to be be interesting to see how they bounce back um after that after that loss yeah definitely something different from what they've uh 
paced like the rest of the season. So coming off of a loss and, and let's see how they bounce back. Hopefully they will. <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't put it past them. Um, so we'll go down the the last week's scores uh, real quick. We had Queretaro and Santos drawing 0-0. Uh, we talked about the Pumas game. We had Leon losing one nothing to uh, Rayadas. I thought that was a, a bit surprising. I would have tipped Rayadas to have uh, a couple more goals, but Leon yeah, exactly. Leon gave a good account of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had uh, Atlético San Luis uh, taking Atlas uh, to task, beating them five to one. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how Atlas bounces back uh, from from that uh, next week when they play Juarez. Yeah, uh, and against their former coach, by the way, as well. That's right, Samayoa and uh, Ulissa Davila scored one for for uh, for Atleti. Uh, you know, another former Atlas player. Um, really a bad day for Atlas on that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm I'm happy to see. I mean, I, I I feel for Atlas because I mean they've been one of the more consistent projects throughout right like throughout other seasons. Uh, I mean, obviously not making it to the final or anything, but I mean, still kind of like like regular like fifth or sixth place team. Um, and now you're seeing Atletico, which on the other hand is really happy. I'm really happy to see a team uh, start to give other teams trouble, like Atletico San Luis, which was, was one of those clubs that it was kind of quiet, and you really didn't expect much from them. Um, usually, like midway through the, like the standings, and getting that victory against Atletico, I think is a pretty big deal as well as a project. So hopefully, we'll start seeing some more regularity out of Atletico San Luis as well. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. I think Atleti was uh, one of those teams uh, that you know we'll kind of talk about this here in a, in a minute about teams that are not uh, doing really what they should. And I think for their first couple of seasons, uh, they they were one of the worst clubs in the league. And uh, their project has been a slow and steady climb. And we saw that. I mean, it was not a, a couple of years ago that they lost. What was it, eight to nothing or eight to one uh, to Tijuana or something like that. Um, so to see them kind of being able to put the shoe on the other foot and and come out and and give a good account of themselves and really give even some of the stronger clubs a, uh, an issue when they play them, I think is is good for for them and good for the league uh, as well. Um, other scores: Tijuana uh, beat Puebla four to one. No real uh, surprise there. Tijuana coming mm-hmm. off of a off of a pretty bad loss and uh, took out their frustrations on uh, poor Puebla. Uh, Necaxa hosted America and lost six to nothing. Uh, Kiana Palacios. Like <laughs> oh, that was that was brutal to watch. Uh, Kiana Palacios had four goals. Um, Kati mm-hmm. Martinez scored one. It was good to see her back in action and uh, back on the score sheet uh, for America as well. I forgot who got the I forgot who got the sixth goal. Um, Pereira. Yes, Pereira. Uh, so you know, America is really looking like they're in mid-season form. They're uh, not yeah. really bothered by anybody. And Nakaxa, we'll, we'll talk more about them here in a minute. <laughs> uh, Tigres beat Toluca two to nothing. Um, I thought Toluca did well. Uh, I know that there's some stuff going on there. I, I think uh, they they did well overall. I, uh, you know, I would have expected a lot heavier defeat for them. Um, so two nothing isn't the worst. Um, Worst outcome. Yeah, I thought it was going to be way worse, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah. The, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was it was still tied to zero at at the uh, at the halftime, so that was pretty good for Toluca. It was, uh, I, and you could see in the body language of the Tigres players, and I think with Coach Moscato too, they were not happy with that. So, um, you know, good for them for kind of adjusting and coming out in the second half and um, getting what I think most people thought was a a result that that should have been. Uh, a lot less close than it was, but 
Um, you know, they got the job done, three points is three points, right? Yep. Uh, and then finally, we've got Mazatlan losing uh, their fourth in a row, uh, three to one to Cruz Azul. Credit to Cruz Azul. They're another team that uh, uh, kind of like Atleti kind of... Uh, yeah, like waking up, you know? Kind of waking up. Starting to make their way through the season. Yeah, yeah. The the, the project is coming together. We've seen Cruz Azul, re- the project kind of come together the past few seasons. They've always... I don't want to say always. They for that for the past few seasons, they've been consistently good enough. They've been consistently making it into the seventh or eighth spot in the in the Liga. Um, you know, giving a good account of themselves most games, and I think they did the same here. Um, but yeah, Mazatlan scored at least. I mean, they we'll, we'll talk about the goal differential in just a bit, but I, I mean, they got their first goal of the season, so they did, and it, it was a really nice goal, too. Um, Anahi Renteria, former Santos player, uh, hit a beautiful left footed uh curler, uh, kind of in I was towards the 90th minute. Uh, the game was already done and dusted by then, but really beautiful shot. Um, maybe they can try and build something off of that. Um, because I'm looking at the next week's schedule and they are going to be playing uh, against Tijuana. Um, Tijuana struggled a little bit. I don't know if this is going to be the game where they're going to be able to pull something out, but you know, if you can find something to build off of, you know, you, you, you try, right? Yeah. Um, got Toluca hosting Chivas, Atlas hosting Juarez, Cruz Azul hosting Pumas, Puebla hosting Necaxa. Uh, America hosting León, Tigres hosting Atlético San Luis, Pachuca hosting Santos, and Rayadas hosting Querétaro. What do you think is going to be the best uh, game to watch? Um, I'm I'm leaning towards the Cruz Azul Pumas match. I mean, it's uh, you know capital rivalry, um, big clubs. Cruz Azul coming off of that victory, Pumas against a terrible defeat, but still, I mean, it's, it's not like a long trip or anything. It's just that it's it's like a home game actually. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because I think like we could see Pumas, um, just see if they can get a victory off of Cruz Azul just after that, that terrible loss against Pachuca or Cruz Azul slowly climb, uh, throughout like the standings and maybe even put Pachuca in a bit of trouble because Cruz Azul is seventh with eight points and Pachuca is six with nine. Um, so maybe um, we could get like small surprise there. I, I think it'll be a good match. I think they're like coming in in, in different circumstances, but still like like performance wise, I think they're like they're, they're pretty equal. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at the level of the clubs, yeah, they're they're on kind of different trajectories. Uh, Cruz Azul is kind of trending upwards. Pumas is trending uh, in the opposite direction. But I think all in all, I, their level is just about the same. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be tuning into that one for sure. Uh, I think it's gonna be a lot to learn about both teams and, you know, kind of uh, a, what are you made of moment? Uh, right. You know, this is one of those games that you're going to look back at the end of the season and go, aha, this is where we found out um, what they were really kind of made of, or, you know, are they, yeah. were they really a, a contender or were they just kind of going through a, a lucky run of form or, you know, playing against some weaker teams and getting results. And then when it came time to face teams that were about their level or, or even higher uh, you know, they kind of fold, um, I, I was going to pick that one. Uh, so if I had to pick another one real quick, I'm going to say Tigres against Atletico San Luis. I think, okay. I think Tigres, I mean, they're Tigres, right? They're, they're playing in a Volcan. <laughs> they're, they're going to be the favorites, but I think Atletico San Luis is going to give them a game. I'm not saying I think that they necessarily are going to pull something out, 
but I think it's going to be a lot more difficult on Tigres uh, than they expect. And I think we're going to find out some stuff about Atletico San Luis. Again, it's another one of those, what are you made of uh, moments? Yeah. You know, they're going to go into a, a tough place to play against a tough team to play against. And we're going to find out what they're made of. We're going to find out if they can um, give a good, good account of themselves under pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe steal a point, maybe not, maybe steal three points. Who knows? Yeah, agree. I mean, even if they lose like Toluca did two to zero or something, it's it's <laughs> it's weird because the best way to see how well the league is doing sometimes is how much pressure other teams can put on like Tigres and Monterrey. <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> if that's going well, then the league is probably doing fine as well. <laughs> Yeah, and that, you know that's actually a perfect segue into our next topic. So, when you talk about the the top teams in the league, we talk about Tigres, Monterrey, America, Chivas, Pachuca's up there uh, as well. Um, and you know we kind of expect them to do good. Uh, but if you look at the bottom four teams right now, right? We have Toluca, we have Mazatlan, we have uh, Necaxa, and we have Puebla. They are combined. No wins, no draws, 12 losses, and a minus 60 goal differential. That is horrible. That is that is so wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> and it, you know, it's frustrating to as a fan of the league in general to see there are four teams that are this bad off. Um, you know, to Luca, we've, we talked about it a little bit on the last episode with, um, you know, who kind of knows what happened. They still haven't released any information about why they've let, uh, now four players go. Uh, Yamanek Martinez is no longer on their, their roster. Um, you know, so it, who knows why that's going on? It looks like they may have stabilized the, the you know, a little bit, uh, with, you know, a, a decent enough performance against Tigres, um, but you know Mazatlan losing at home to Cruz Azul three to one, uh, Nakaxa getting blown out six to nothing against America, Puebla losing again uh, four to one to Cholos. Uh, you know, it's it's at some point you have to you have to look at the situation and go how did we get here and is this good for the league? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Charlene Corral actually gave a, an interview yesterday and she said. Um, we can't expect the league to do well when we keep having these scores. It's just, it's it's harmful for the rest of the league because it means that only a couple of, well, I mean, not a couple, but a handful of teams are actually investing in growing the league, growing the club, growing the players. And it just means that the rest are are actually like pulling down the league on, on the performances that they're having. And it could be a, a, a turning point for some of the players saying, hey, I want to go to this league. But if I keep saying these kinds of results, it just means it's, it's not as serious as I thought it was. It's not as professional as I think it could be. So it it if we st- we keep on seeing all these differences between several clubs, it definitely will be um, something that could affect even the teams that are doing well. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is an absolutely fair point. Um, you know, and if I'm a player and I look at this league and I see that there are um, anywhere, and you know, the season is is you know, we've seen this before. It's not like this season is an anomaly. We've seen teams that cannot get their, their act together um, yeah. year over year. 
and it's frustrating. And, you know, if I'm a player and I, and I look at this league as a possible destination, I go, you know, is this going to week in and week out provide me with adequate competition? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I kind of have to question that. I mean, yeah, of course it's going to give you good competition when you play Chivas and America and, um, you know, Monterrey and those teams. Uh, and even teams like Atlas and Santos, you know, that we've mentioned that are, you know, they're always kind of in the mix. You, you know, we don't expect them to go out and win the league, but they're they're there and they're they're presenting good accounts of themselves. But when you have four teams that, um, you know, have have not have no wins, no losses, or uh, no draws, and and twelve losses over yeah. twelve games played, that's that's a red flag and. You know, another point is that it's it's not fair to the players. At some point, yeah, heavy defeats are are on, on some level on the players. But when you look at this as a systemic thing, you realize that, that these players are not being put into a position to succeed, and that's mm-hmm. that's not fair to them. That is an institutional failure. Yeah, point. you can see it like particularly with Mazatlan, which is also last place on the men's side with no victories, no no draws. Um, you, you can tell when something club-wise is is doing really really poorly. Um, not necessarily only the women's squad. You can sit, you can sense that the, something's going on with the entire club when you have both of your teams doing terribly, being last place in both of their leagues, and not seeing any response. You're not seeing. I mean, there's no there's no coach for the men's side yet. Um, Gabriel Caballero actually quit, and then you have a women's side which is, isn't being able to perform either. So. Um, again, this is when you start seeing um, how difficult it is for the players to actually perform when you have an entire club doing poorly, probably not getting the support they need, probably not getting the infrastructure they need. And then we start seeing these huge differences when you have um, probably the same clubs that we're used to in, in the feminine side, Monterrey, Tigres, Chivas, America, in the first four places. And then the, the difference with the, the last places is nowhere near. I mean, it, it's an entirely different league. So, yeah, I hope... Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little in a little bit about everything that was announced this week regarding uh, the Mexican Football Federation, but hopefully there will be some kind of message being sent from the league to these clubs saying this this cannot happen. I mean, you can't have uh, teams with a huge goal differential with 18 goals like America, and then you have like a minus 14, minus 20 um, in the case of Mazatlan. So you, you just can't have it. You need to make, make sure that everything is given possible to, to these players to make sure that performances are way more regular, are way more competitive, and do you actually grow the league? Because if this keeps on going, the entire league is going to lose credibility. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the frustrating part about this is that we've seen teams that were kind of in in that same position pull themselves up. And it doesn't seem like it takes a whole lot to do that, right? Juarez Mm -hmm. isn't a rich club. Uh, Here they are, though. They're, They're in, you know, they're making a lot of noise right now. Um, you know, I look at Atlético San Luis. Yes, they have the backing of Atlético Madrid, but um, you know, with their men's side, they're not going out and spending a whole lot of money and mm-hmm. dumping a whole lot of resources into the men's side either. Um, you know, they've been able to kind of put together something. Santos is the same way. Santos, you know, they've always built from within and are, are not going to go out and, and and spend you know millions of pesos on 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 players. Uh, you know, they kind of build from within and have that model. It, it's doable, but you have to actually commit to it. And you have to commit resources in the right places, um, you know, in, into coaching, into scouting, into um, facilities, into into those sorts of things that, that can maybe not 
give you instant results. Um, you know, it's not the same as going out and, and signing Jenny Armoso, of course, but, you know, these are the sorts of investments that you make um, if you're serious about like a long-term project. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned um, like those clubs that we, we were getting used to seeing in the bottom at like the beginning of the, of, of the league. I mean, understandably so you that so many changed, so many things changed. I mean, we had the format change, we had mm-hmm. other clubs come in. Um, yeah. I mean, you had, you had Morelia, now you have Mazatlan, stuff like that. But again, each club with um, the identity that usually, I mean, Santos, like you mentioned, is, is, is used to building players, not necessarily bringing them in, buying them from other clubs. They're actually creating players uh, from the youth divisions. And you start seeing that with, with the women's hand. That's awesome. It, it may take some time. Yes. Um, again, we were talking about how um, you, can, you have to be patient with these projects and Juarez was patient with theirs. And it's now, we're not, you're seeing results now. So hopefully others will pick a good project, a solid project. It doesn't have to be a project that in, involves spending tons of money on new players. It just means just making sure you, 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 you play with what you have, right? If it's building players, you do that. If it's bringing in players from other clubs, okay, that's fine. Um, and then start to build up on that. And yeah, you have to be patient, but you also have to give them what they need. You need the infrastructure, you need support, you need to make sure that players are doing well. I mean, I remember still a couple of years ago that we started seeing like tweets from players saying, hey, we're traveling by bus 20 plus hours uh, because the club didn't want to get us flight to this place. Um, we're slowly starting to like stopping to see that in some of the clubs, but again, it just seems as though everything is wrong in these like bottom four clubs. And hopefully again, um, the league will start looking into that and saying, Hey, you, you just can't have this happen. What's going on? How can we help you? Um, and, and bring them back together and just try to make them more competitive for what's remaining in the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel for the players, I feel for the fans of these clubs. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a bad situation. It's kind of a black eye on the league. And, you know, for, for me, it just seems so avoidable <laughs> i you know I, you know if you look at how how much money some of these clubs are spending in transfer fees maybe not mazatlan specifically but you know you look at some of the other clubs and how much they spend on transfer fees for their men's side and you you know you go well you could take a tenth of that and and put together a, a pretty decent women's side you know um and like that's that's kind of a that's kind of an awful thing to to kind of think about because we are undervaluing women athletes Mm-hmm. But it is the re- reality of the market, and you could very easily take that money and put it into putting forth a competitive side instead of yeah. running out, you know, just the players who agreed to come for you because maybe it was their last stop or something. I don't know. It's it's just it's it's bad, and I and yeah, I yeah, it's I, painful. Yeah. <laughs> so. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we will come back to recap all of the news that happened today. And maybe if there's time, some of the stuff that happened within the last week, because there is a lot that's happened today. Stick around. And we are back. Adriana, it was such a busy day, such a busy week in the world of women's soccer. Um, My gosh, what all happened? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know how like... I think it's been a while since we've actually seen like last minute transfers, like at the end of the day and just running and starting seeing like one news from one club and then the other, and then kind of like all packed into like the same, like, I don't know, couple hours or so. Um, so, I mean, we just started to see like tons of, of information regarding players leaving Liga MX, which is awesome. Uh, sadly not Mexican players, but I mean, we'll get there. 
So, I mean, we're starting to see information regarding Uchenna Kanu going to Louisville, which is, I mean, for her, it's amazing. I, I, I think it was like a letdown because I was loving like like the synergy that, what, that she had with, with the fans and loving what she brought into Tigres. Not that Tigres will miss her too much because they have such a solid squad, but still um, one of those players that I think was starting to like imprint on the fans and make sure that she was known for what she could do uh, in the attack. And, and I, she was starting to become one of those players that could like really be like um, like star player for Tigres. And I don't know, I mean, maybe be like a second option whenever you have some of the older players start to leave, you know, like a Stephanie Mayor and, and like as a striker. So, yeah, I mean, she's leaving to Louisville. Um, apparently, it's, it's the highest transfer we've had from Liga MX Femenil to the NWSL, which is amazing. Um, from information that we have uh, to the N, apparently there was also some kind of, of personal issues that she had to resolve and the offer came in and it just allows her to resolve those personal issues. So um, both clubs, I think, were pretty understanding of this. And yeah, I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it will be great to see someone um, taking on the NWSL from the Liga MX Committee. Yeah, um, there's a couple of different ways to look at this, right? So like you said, for Uche, uh, I'm I'm very happy. I think this is a great move uh, for her for her career. I think we kind of saw her playing time diminish a little bit at Tigres. Um, you know, I, I still think she was an integral part of the squad. I still think um, her and Mayor especially had great chemistry on the field. Um, you know, so I'm sad to see her go. I'm going to miss watching her play uh, at El Volcan. Um, like you mentioned, though, Tigres is such a strong and stacked squad that I don't think they're going to miss her terribly yeah. much. <laughs> um, but I, I do think it's a good move for her, and it frees up Tigres to 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 make another move if necessary. Um, they are allegedly bringing in Riley Parker uh, from Louisville. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. A, if that happens, and B, if that happens, how she kind of integrates in the squad and, and um, you know, where she can find a place to play because they are so um, they are so stacked, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but like you said, it's, it is a bit frustrating um, to see an international player going north to NWSL instead of a, a Mexican player when there are so many uh, good Mexican players in the league, uh, you know, and ones who have been rumored to be heading uh, to NWSL as well. You know, I think of like Jackie Ovalle, who's always seeming to be rumored to, <laughs> to be going to Houston season, every yeah. offseason. It's uh... oh God, please just say <laughs> yes already. Um, but I mean, you know, while we're happy for Uche, it's also like, you know, where were the why not the Mexican players? You know, why why would we not see them um, also go go there or you know or see interest in them? Um, you know, and I don't know necessarily know if that's you know good or bad for the league. I I, I think it's good that we are seeing players go to NWSL and thrive, right? Like I think yeah. of Maria Sanchez going back there. I mean, of course, yeah, she had she had already had play there and, run. and yeah you know kind of keeps going back and forth between the le two leagues um but she had an amazing season last year at houston um and uh you know it's it's cool to see that it's cool to see players go um it's cool to see that clubs are noticing um liga mechis femenil are putting value into it and the players and uh thinking that these players can come up and provide something uh, to their squads in what is arguably the top league in the world, right? 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, anything that's good for any of these players is good for the league, but agreed. I mean, hopefully we'll start seeing more of this. And particularly, we're starting, we're, we'll start seeing some Mexican players uh, make it through. So, again, I mean, I, I hope what happens on the men's side is, isn't making its way to the women's side, where the league pays players. I mean, again, we're not speaking about all the clubs because that's part of the problem. But some of the players, I mean, some of the clubs, the top clubs, play uh, pay players pretty well at this point. I mean, particularly players that are coming in from abroad. It doesn't mean the like the entire club is doing well in that sense, but you can you, you start getting a sense that some of those star players are getting pretty decent salaries and wages. I hope it's just not something that will avoid players from leaving the club at some point. I, again, you have to be competitive, yeah, uh, but not make it as though you players won't accept other offers just because they're a bit below what they're getting in Mexico, particularly the star players. Again, it, it doesn't mean that we're doing amazing when, when it comes to wages in, in the league at all. But yeah, particularly those really like like high key players. Um, we know that they're doing well with their wages and hopefully that won't stop them from, yeah, again, like accepting an offer when, wherever, whether it's the States, whether it's in Europe and still, I mean, be like these ambassadors that we need for the league as well. Yeah. I think something that's going to help with that is the NWSL is, uh, you know, I think they're raising their salary cap again. So it is a cap mm-hmm. league. Um, for those who may be unfamiliar, that means that they have a certain amount of money that they can spend on player transfers and wages, uh, that's predetermined by the league. And if, yes, there's all sorts of other mechanisms and rules that I I don't understand and couldn't begin to explain on what's supposed to be an hour podcast. <laughs> but suffice it to say that, that there are limitations on what NWSL clubs can spend on players. But we are seeing that those caps are raised. And I think at some point they will be much more competitive uh, with uh, teams like Tigres and Monterrey who can put out just a ton of money for a, for a player at will, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of players coming into uh, the league, into the Monterey area, uh, we have Rayadas finally announcing the signing of Chinwindu <laughs> Ehezuo. Um, that was kind of leaked, I guess, inadvertently by the Nigerian Football Federation when she was called up last week. And uh, Rayadas made that official today. So... Um, I mean, that's that's cool to see. It's cool to see, uh, you know, another team getting more international players and bringing in good players from abroad to raise the profile of the league. Um, you know, I, I it, tweeted out like I was I was just happy we were going to have like a Nigerian clash for the next classic. <laughs> and then half an hour later, we started seeing all this news from Lucha leaving. And I was like, oh, well, that aged poorly. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been cool to see. And, you know, maybe maybe we'll see some sort of friendly between Riadas and um, Louisville. Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, usually it, it takes like one of these transfers to start building up like relationship between clubs. And that would be really cool. I mean, we started seeing that. We've, we've seen Tigres do it with, with Dash. Um, they've had a couple of friendlies and it, it would be awesome if these transfers kind of bring in that kind of communication and start getting clubs, those friendlies with other clubs abroad. That would be, that would be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, speaking of Riadas, uh, they let Barbara Olivieri go. Uh, the rumor mill has her going uh, to Houston. I think it was, I think I've seen mm-hmm. that on the internet. Um, so, you know, it, it's cool to see a player leave and go to NWSL allegedly. And, um, you know, I'm sure she will thrive, uh, if, and when she goes there. Um, but you know, it, it would, it would be kind of cool to see a, a Mexican player kind of follow that uh, as well. I think Olivieri's, um, 
yeah, you know, like an Allison eventually over America, or if you could have like um, Eileen, maybe just a bit older. I mean, like start getting those players where they're still at the age where they can, like they're still learning, right? They're still in that learning process. They're still not entirely mature players. If you could get them that kind of experience um, just a bit earlier, that would be amazing. Um, for the careers, if they came back to Liga MX Femenil with that kind of experience, that would be awesome as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talked about that last week about, you know, going abroad for for players is just a wonderful experience if for nothing else and to get them out of their comfort zone in every sense possible, be it, um, you know, new coach, new teammates, new language, new food, new side of the road they're driving on, you know, sometimes like just a new experience, a new way of looking at things. And, you know, with that comes, uh, you know, a test to their ability to adapt and change. And that's always good. Uh, it's always good to find that out. And the younger that you do that, um, the, the better. Um, you know, I think that's that's always good. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see how uh, Jin Wendu does in, um, in, in the league. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember back to, uh, you know, some of the other players who have kind of come in uh, at the start of the season and, and how they did, I think, back to me official, right? So she came in, I think, the second or third game of her first season. They'd already been playing. And she came in and was able to integrate pretty quickly to the to the team and, and contribute right away. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, uh, Chin Wendu can do that uh, in what is going to be week five. Um you know, and if not, you know, not all is lost. Uh, sometimes it takes <laughs> players a little bit longer to, um, yeah, to, to adjust and just win their position and I don't know, try to be more competitive regarding other players that have been in the starting lineup a bit longer. So, I, I yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things because you have the transfer market um, still open and we're like going into week five. So some of these teams are are reaching the point where they're at their best. But it, I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's just one of those things that happens. Hopefully, they had these players before, so they could have like preseason activities and, and and games with their clubs but I mean yeah it's just one of those things that happens with players and hopefully they'll, they'll just adapt quickly um be injury free and start competing for one of those starting positions yeah because those starting positions are going to be few and far between I'm looking at the uh the forwards on on Monterrey now and it's easy to forget just how stacked they are Christina Birkenrode <laughs> Desiree Monsivayas Eileen Aviles Danny Solis right like yeah uh, that is going to be a very tough lineup to crack um, and uh, get minutes in and perhaps win a starting job. Um, you know, it's so. like a two, four, four system now. So yeah, it's, they're, they're innovating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, if, even if you win eight to seven, you still win. Right. So yeah. It'll <laughs> <laughs> will... be interesting though. It, it, it definitely will be interesting um, with Desiree coming back from the team, uh, from coming back after being at Glasgow um top goal scorer from the league despite being away for six months it'll be it'll be interesting because we've seen how like how strong will she is when it comes on the pitch and just how many goals she can get when she's in like in the zone but it won't be as easy because you, you have top competition you left some of these players six months ago and they're just six months stronger at this point so yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see how um, you know, how, how you start managing that internally as well and make sure that no one feels in, like entirely frustrated and understands this is a competition um, and kind of make sure that that brings out the best whenever they're in practice and hopefully um, making those calls for who's in the starting position will be just as difficult because that means everyone's doing okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's, that's key here. I think there's going to be a lot of competition um, for very few minutes. Right. Uh, yeah. Just looking at that, looking at that lineup and seeing who who is there and, um, you know, trying to think Riata's plays. I think they play mostly 
uh, like a four three three four two five one. They only usually use like one uh, like striker center forward kind of player. Uh, every so often, I think they put a second one up there to change it up a little bit, and maybe that's kind of what Eva Espejo is looking to do. Um, but even even still, if you if you do that, that's still going to be, um, you know, Birkenrode and uh, Desiree uh, and Eileen and now Wendu <laughs> <laughs> kind of going for, you know, even if there's two spots, there's still four very good players who are going to yeah, be fighting for for those minutes. And sadly enough, I mean, um, I mean, we're not going to the World Cup, but usually when you, you're in a World Cup year, you start losing players for a couple of weeks because they go off. Uh, for training with a net with a national team uh, that won't be the case this season sadly enough but usually teams prepare for that and that's when they bring in other players because they they know that other players might go off with their national teams might come back or they're injured they're tired you have to give them a break you just can't like you have to manage how much their playing time they're getting um, sadly enough that's not the case <laughs> but uh, but usually you start seeing clubs build up on that and be like hey we're gonna start losing some players I remember particularly um, when Leo Cuellar was at America he started mentioning um, how difficult it was sometimes to build a team because he started losing players due to different national team clubs. Like you had the U17, the U20, the senior team. So yeah, again, it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, definitely if something comes along and someone gets injured, I mean, they're set. They have key players in every position and probably three times as many as they need. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, redundancy is good in that in that uh, sense. Um, you know, I think they they may lose some, I'm trying to think of the, the the youth competitions. I know that uh, while Mexico is not going to the World Cup, there are still friendlies uh, being yeah. planned and and all that kind of stuff. I know that that uh, Christina yeah, Bergen Road coming in in a couple of weeks. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Plan. In Leon, I forgot about that. Um, I know Christina Bergen Road is probably going to feature pretty heavily uh, for that. Um, mm-hmm. Eileen may get a look too. Like who knows? Um, you know, she's certainly right there. Maybe Desiree gets uh, finally gets another uh, callback. Um, Hopefully, uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, you know, I can't imagine all three of those players going out at once. Um, I think it'll be very difficult. But uh, you know, you got to fight for minutes. And uh, if Eva Spejo manages to give like 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 half let like that killer attack, that would be awesome as well for the fans. If you had like Christina somehow playing with Desiree, someone playing with Eileen, uh, maybe Dani Solis at some point as well, that would be awesome as well. I mean, if you could make it happen without yeah. making them too uncomfortable with a different position. All right. I mean, I don't, I, I only know um, what Chinwendo has done with, with, with Nigeria. I haven't, you know, she played in China for the past couple of seasons. I, I unfortunately have not watched any of those games. I don't really know what they did with her there, but I know she's kind of like a center forward. So she would most likely pair up with, with Burke and road Desiree. I could see slotting back into like, like a, like a, um, like a, like a more of an attacking midfielder kind of setting things up, um, taking longer shots, that kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe Eileen's going to try and play out wide um, to kind of counterbalance Solis. Um, I mean, I guess it I guess it could work. You could really try and shoehorn all of them into to something. Um, you know, I don't know what your midfield would look like at that point because you're taking up a lot of uh, a lot of bodies to put them up front, but. Uh, um, it would be interesting to, to watch and uh, who knows, who knows what, uh, what Eva Espejo has up her sleeve. Uh, <laughs> if there's somebody who I wouldn't put past uh, trying to innovate and, and do the unexpected, I think it's her. Yeah, agreed. I agree. I think it'll be really interesting to see how she manages the, that club. Um, I mean, the, the squad internally, as well as on the pitch. Yeah. 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 For sure. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of really good players and a lot of, uh, you know, what, 
by all accounts are pretty strong-willed individuals and that's that's uh that's really good uh, i guess uh, for coaches to have but it can also uh also backfire too so we will see monterey is always a a tough team to watch and always a fun team to watch um and i know we touched on it briefly about uh the national team uh, but there was a big big press conference uh yesterday this this week seems like it's been a month uh <laughs> i know it's been so long it's been like filled with everything it was just uh, yesterday too it where... was just, yeah, i mean we, we started saying you know how like you start building up on it because they 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 sent out the press release saying, hey, we're going to have a press conference on Tuesday. And you're like building up slowly and you start seeing rumors and then you start seeing names come out. And you, like everyone has different information. Uh, it's it's always crazy. But yeah, I mean, um, Federation came out. I mean, yeah, most most of this was was caused by the terrible performance in Qatar for the men's side, for the men's senior side. But still, I mean, if we remember last year, it was just killer on every probably every single team we had. Every level. Uh, the U20s, yeah, every level. U20s on the men's side failed to make it to the World Cup and also failed to qualify for the Olympic Games, which was at, at the same tournament. Um, women's senior side failed to make it to the World Cup and also failed to make it to the Olympic Games. Uh, U20 women's side had this situation with Maribel Dominguez losing her position uh, a couple of weeks before the World Cup. Ana Galino had to come in and take over the team last minute. Um, obviously not the way you want to come into a, a youth World Cup, right? Well, any World Cup. And then obviously the men's senior side, which failed to make it to that, that infamous fifth game. How like just the way we call it over here? I mean, it's not like we want to reach quarterfinals. It's like the fifth game. <laughs> I, I know it's like it's like fear of a name, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, um, we had this huge press conference where John De Luisa, president of the federation, came forward and explained. Um, I mean, first of all, I appreciated the fact that the first thing they said was this huge list of every mistake they made last season, or I mean last year. Um, like um, they had te- coaches that didn't have as, as good a communication a communication with the team with the players as they wished, um, lack of a uh, of a um, of coaching squad that had um, a coaching team that had entire like huge knowledge of Mexican players and the Mexican league, um, terrible planning with some of the games. I mean, you had the entire Sendeja situation where you had you're starting to call up players um, a couple weeks before instead of like this being a process and negotiation and bringing them and instead of losing them to the United States. So they had like this huge list of everything they did wrong, which was, okay, I understand where you're going, but I'm happy you guys understand this is going on. Um, and then organizational-wise, um, you, you will, you'll have Rodrigo Ares de Parga take over as uh, general manager of the entire Mexican national team system. You know, that means every single team. So you'll have Andrea Rodebo, who was confirmed and ratified on the women's side, which he had seen from last semester. And then you'll have Jaime Ordiales on the men's side, who also joined after everything that happened and, and took over Gerardo Torrado's position. So then both of them will report to Rodrigo Ares de Parga, who you may remember from um, when he was at Pumas and most recently in Querétaro. Uh, not every club was too happy with this decision because um, he's technically going to decide the next men's coach. But he has to do it and get um, ratified with this group of clubs, which will be like a committee. And you have America, Chivas, Cholos, Necaxa, and oh, I'm missing one. Olegi. Um, yeah, Santos. Grupo Olegi. Yeah, Santos with on there. And they had Pachuca, and Pachuca disagreed with having Rodrigo Ares de Parga in, in, in that position, so they left, right? And that opened the spot for, for Necaxa. So for, on one hand, I'm like, okay, I'm happy that a club is um, – you know, goes on and, and takes a stand against what they believe in, not because they, they have to make a huge deal out of it, but just because, hey, I, I really don't agree with this. 
decision, so I'm going to back out. But on the other hand, I mean, Grupo Pachuca is one of those teams and clubs that has done things particularly well, getting players abroad, building up on those teams, or current champions. I mean, it would have been nice to have a club or an institution like that in this committee. On the other hand, I'm not seeing any of the Rayado, on any of the Northern teams, which is really weird because again, these are teams that are really powerful, have invested correctly, they're growing, uh, they're really competitive, they're playing international games, and they're not on the committee, which is also like, like, hey, like, like, what's going on? Why wouldn't you want like a Tigres or a Rayados in that committee? But okay, so that's like what they um, what they announced on that end. On the other hand. Um, <laughs> That was just part of the conference, by the way. This is this was like a huge <laughs> two hour and a half of press conference. This was long. Um, <laughs> that was Yon de Luis. And then Mikel Arriola, who's president of Liga MX, um, <laughs> came forward and he had a PowerPoint presentation. So he was like, oh, please, let me, like, I'm going to stand up and show you guys my slides. Um, and then, well, he started mentioning everything they've done wrong as a league. And yeah, it was mostly focused on the men's side, but these are things that could definitely permeate and make their way to the women's side for better or for worse, right? So they understand that having, you know, the repechaje, like the playoff series where like teams nine through 12 could make it to the quarterfinals, that will be eliminated. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they realized because on the women's side, that means you understand how important it is to have only eight teams compete throughout the season and not have a team that's in 12th place out of 18 uh, be a possible Liga MX champion. That just, I mean, it, it, yeah. it ruins competition entirely. So I'm glad that they got that out of the way. So this is the last season we'll have that because they can't change the, the rules now. So we'll have one more and then this will be voted on in May with the rest of the club owners. And then we'll start seeing it for, for the Apertura 2023. Um, on the women's side, I mean, they did mention how important it was to get uh, to participate in the Gold Cup because you will have some Conmebol teams uh, invited there as well. So again, you're starting to see the clubs, amazingly enough, understand how important it is to start getting international competitions, not only within the region, because again, this is who you play against to get to qualify for the game for the World Cup, but also getting like some experience against teams of other confederations. So uh, Gold Cup on the women's side was a, a great, uh, great news to see. And then obviously um, getting some Conrebol teams invited as well would be absolutely amazing for, for that competition. Um, I, I'm trying to remember what else. They, I mean, yeah, they, they understand they have to create more players. They have to bring up better players, younger. I mean, on the men's side, on Qatar, I remember Mexico had the second oldest uh, age average on the squad, which is, uh, I, I believe it's terrible because it just means you're depending on players that are reaching, I mean, they're past their maturity, right? These are players that will probably retire sometime soon. So, um Again, understanding that the leagues have to improve and have to make sure that clubs are constantly bringing in new players and giving them the support they need to make it through the U17s, the U18s, the U20s, and then eventually start uh, competing with, with the national teams. So, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty long conference. Um, it, most of these things will have to be voted on in May, but it seems as though, I mean, they understand where they screwed up on the men's side and... Hopefully, it'll also mean that they can screw up on the women's side if they don't do something about it sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always good to hold yourself publicly accountable, especially in a, in a forum like that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it was kind of refreshing uh, to, in a way to to see that from I guess both uh, De Luisa and Ariola. Um, you know, so hats off to them for doing that. I think it some was of like the a roast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how comfortable I would be going up there and pointing out everything I did wrong over the past year, but <laughs> you know, on some <laughs> on some on some level, I guess you need that. Um, yeah, you know, especially when you're when you're running uh, something that is as important as the Mexican Football Federation. Uh, you know, my big takeaways from this are it looks like they're learning from their mistakes. Um, you know, it's always good to try new things um, or bring back some some things in, in different times to see if they work. And then if they don't work to get rid of them. So things like the repechaje, um, it's it's good to see that go. Um, I'm, you know, I'm with you. I don't I don't think every team should qualify for the playoffs. You know, I, I think the top eight is kind of the way to go. Uh, with that and it's good to see that that wasn't something that would be pushed into um, the feminine side because I'm trying to think of trying to pull up real quick who would be number 12 if we looked um, but I'm guessing it would be Queretaro with four points right now which is <laughs> not great um, yeah you know not what so. you were you would expect like yeah I, I mean I understand why they did they obviously mentioned so many things that could they, they got put on hold because of COVID um, they were gradually um, diminishing the number of foreign players or foreign board players in the in the men's side, and then mm-hmm. that got it, it, that got switched off. Right? They were like, "Oh, we're going to do this every season. It'll be like a slow transition, so clubs can get used to it." And then they just stopped for two and a half years. They were like, "Okay, we're, we have eight players um, who can be on the pitch at the same time, eight foreign players, and then you can have ten in the club." I mean, that that's. I get, oh my god that's 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 so much i mean i understand real madrid like 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 made headlines a couple of weeks ago because they had no spaniards playing in their starting lineup like a couple of weeks ago but spain like you you can see so many players going abroad that it's not a problem for the league right but when you're doing it on a league that depends so much on national production of players you just can't do that i mean um this is why we're starting to see so many players get lost and they go up to central american leagues which is not bad but you can obviously it's it's obviously because you're frustrated you can't compete in your own league uh you can't end up processes i mean we've seen this time and time again you know, how players like i remember with with Duca Ferretti at Tigres um all those U17 national team players from the men's side probably didn't get as much of a chance as you'd expect uh with some of the clubs because there's no patience there's no time uh there's no there's there, there was a rule that forced teams to have a minimum of playing minutes for players that were 20 years, uh, 11 months or younger. Mm-hmm. And they removed that as well. So it's like, dude, how are you creating players if there's nothing that actually serves as an incentive to make sure clubs do that? I mean, you, you need them to score now. You need them to win. You need to make it to the Gilla. Um, And at some point, you needed them to avoid relegation. So again, it's, it's, it's I, I'm glad, like you were mentioning, they came up and said, we did this wrong, we understand that, and okay, we're going to start changing things. Probably not as many as we'd hoped, but definitely more than we expected. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's so tough. It's got to be so tough for for teams, um, for, for managers, right? When you have to meet a certain threshold for, for youth minutes, and yet, you know, if you drop two games in a row or three games in a row, you're, you're going to be fired, um, you yeah. know, and, and balancing that and going, well, you know, can I afford can I afford to do this? Um, yeah. You know, that's that's got to be tough. Uh, so, you know, hopefully there's going to be some sort of some sort of compromise made where, you know, coaches aren't so quick to get the axe, um, you know, and maybe, you know, if they have a bad season but things are looking in the right direction uh, the ownership and fans will be a little bit more forgiving and yeah. give them some time if they're you know if they 
look like they have a decent project going and they're getting youth players in and getting the minutes. Yeah, likewise, um, like we, we were mentioning at the beginning of the pod, I mean, you're starting to see results from a project that, yeah, required some patience with Miri Martinez. And now, thanks to that patience and, yeah, helping out a bit, you're starting to see results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the good things about the women's side is that coaches in general are given a pretty long leash um, to, you know, excuse me, have a bad season or, you know, a bad couple of seasons even. But if the project looks like it's going in the right direction, they're allowed to stay on and kind of see it through. Uh, Of course, not every situation has been like that. We've seen coaches who look like they're doing okay, get the ax. And we see coaches who really aren't doing all that well kind of hang around a little longer than than we think but it's 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 a little you know the situation at least to me seems better than the men's side where it's you know you lose a couple of games and you're gone and we're going to bring in somebody from the coaching carousel right like yeah you know yeah it's like we joke about this sometimes like if if you were like laying yourself in the bed and you pull the covers um, you, you'll probably uncover your feet, right? So you can't have you can't have it both ways, right? You either cover <laughs> your feet or cover your hands. Um, so yeah, you kind of solve one problem, but then you uncover another one. So hopefully they'll they'll, they'll make it work because I think uh, clubs, presidents, fans, everyone felt for like the impact of Qatar. I mean, it was a difficult World Cup going into. Um, we were coming off of a year and a half of losing against the United States, for instance. Uh, you're coming off of uh, 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 World Cup qualifiers at home in Monterrey where you couldn't even score a goal uh, for the women's side. So, I mean, it was just everything that could go wrong probably just went wrong <laughs> last year. And hopefully they'll fix it in time because there's so many things regarding the next World Cup on the men's side as well that just, I mean, they, it could be a disaster. You don't have to qualify, which means you're not entirely obligated to do well in, at any point. I mean, you're not obligated to get those points. But yeah, on the other hand, you are obligated because it's a home World Cup with more teams. You you should make it to that like quarterfinal game at least a little bit easier, I guess. Um, but you don't have time. You don't have a project. You don't have a coach yet. Um, and I mean, again, if you have that happening on the men's side, at least on the women's side, we could start building up on Pedro Lopez's project uh, probably in a couple of weeks when he gives out his first roster for the Revelations Cup. And then, hey, you're not going to the World Cup. At least make make the best out of the time you have to make sure you do make it for the for the following one or for, for the following tournament, and make sure that you learn from your mistakes and make a stronger squad because you had that much more time to prepare for it. Exactly, time waits for no one. It waits for no project, and uh, the, you know the Mexican men's side needs to get their act uh, in gear, and they need to figure out what they're doing. They need to figure yeah. out who's leading the ship. Um, you know, Piojo Herrera. Uh, Guillermo Amada, pick one and pick one and go with it uh, because time it's is wasted. Weird. It's taken so long to choose a coach <laughs> that you have like here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it, if they were like negotiating, apparently Bielsa was an option at some point, but not a, str- a strong one. You're like, okay, I, I can understand how you can take two months to negotiate with a coach, a coach that's not here, like around the corner. Um, but, you know, Amada is right here and Pio as well. So, like, like, why did you, like, why do you need like 60 days and, or plus to make like that decision? I don't know. It's, it's weird. Yeah, pick pick one and go with it because time is wasting. <laughs> and yeah. you know, I'm I'm excited for for the women's side to to call in their first squad. I think we talked about this last week to to see who's coming in and yeah. uh, what it's going to look like and to get some games under because 
you know, before we know it, 2027 will be here and it'll be time to start, uh, (laughs) you know, talking about gearing up for that World Cup, Um, you know, so we we need to kind of get things moving for both projects. Um, Maybe I'm just being impatient. I don't know. Um, I think we we need as much time as we can get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for for both for both projects. So let's yeah. hope uh, the next time that we record, we'll have uh, more updates and we'll know who the the coaches are and who's coming into camp. Um, but in the meantime, you know, thank everyone for listening to our podcast uh, and uh, keep tuning in. Follow the hashtag Liga MX F E M E N G uh, because, as Amy always says, at the end of the day, it's our football. Have a good one, everyone. Take care. <laughs>